God, we thank you for each other. Of whatever age, whatever stage, however we are growing, we thank you for each other and the gift that we are to each other. And we ask now that you might help us to learn and grow just a little bit on that journey that is the adventure of life with you. We ask this in your name. Amen. I suppose if I was to give a title to these reflections today, it would be something like Growing People, Growing Faith. And if I wanted to pick out a couple of things from those readings we just heard, the one from Proverbs and the one from um, Ephesians, I would say, just very briefly, the one from Proverbs talks about how generations pass things on to the next generation. Solomon talks about his father passing things on to him and how he is now passing things on to his son. And the responsibility that we have when we looked at the ages of helping each other grow. And Ian, I know you said don't get old, but we need people with wisdom who've had experience of life who can pass that experience on to those of us who've not quite got there yet. So we need that. We need all of, each of us need others to give us that wisdom and pass it on, to pass on the law of the Lord in Christian sense. And then the Ephesians reading, I would say probably the nub of that that I would want to bring out is that we do it together, that we do it as a body of different kinds of people coming together in Christ uh, and that we don't grow alone. In our baptism service, we promise to nurture one another in faith, uphold one another in prayer, encourage one another in service. We grow together. And that's one of the things that's really important about being a church. Because although our focus for gift day today is our youth work, I want to set our commitment to youth work in the context of all of us growing as people and growing in faith. That it's something we do together. That we have a responsibility to ourselves and to each other to grow, whatever stage we're at. Now, a question for you. Can you remember, however long ago it was, what it was like to be a child or a teenager? Picture yourself. What music were you listening to? What were you wearing? What did your hair look like? Maybe you'd like to share that with the person next to you. Maybe you wouldn't. (laughs) Some people are laughing. Do you want to let us in on the secret of what you did in your wayward youth? I realise for some of us it's more recent than for others. I wonder how different you are now. I wonder if your understanding of God has changed, along with your clothes sense and your hairstyle and whatever else has changed. I wonder if your understanding of God has changed. Now a question for you to consider quietly, perhaps. What did God mean to you as a small child? 
as you grew older, as a teenager perhaps, or since then, what did God mean to you and how did that change? It would be really interesting, wouldn't it, to do some Vox Pops around the church and see what people said, but I'm not going to put you on the spot just now. It is an interesting question, though, because as we grow physically and emotionally and intellectually, we also grow spiritually. At least we hope we do. As children and teenagers, growing in all those ways is principally part of the natural process, But as adults, sometimes our growth and learning is more often prompted by circumstances or life events, because we do go on growing as adults. Birth and death and changing job and moving house, or the disappointment of not doing those things, or meeting the complexities of other people's lives, as well as the realities of our own. All these things initiate growth. Sometimes the jolt of revolutionary change, Sometimes the slow drip of gradual evolutionary change in who we are and how we understand God. If we grow spiritually, then our faith grows. Our sense and understanding of God grows. Our sense of who we are as Christian believers. Our Christ-likeness, that grows too. And this is Paul's assumption in that bit that we read from Ephesians when he says, then we will grow in every way and be more like Christ. Now that's quite an amazing way to grow, isn't it? To become more like Christ. And he goes on that the body will grow. Somehow our growth makes the body, the church, grow. He assumes that his readers will be growing in faith and maturity. In fact, our faith has to grow, doesn't it, in order to continue to be relevant to our lives. The writer of Psalm 1 uses the image of a growing tree with its roots down in the water. The water is the laws and the ways of God that the writer meditates on. And the meditation on the ways of God and the teachings of God, of Jesus perhaps in our sense, That's what makes the tree healthy, so that it produces fruit and leaves. So let's look at some of the patterns of how faith grows, and in particular why youth work is really important at a particular stage of human life. The young people were kind of standing in the middle of that um, long line of people earlier, wasn't it? So it's kind of appropriate that as we consider growth, we put youth work in the middle of that. Could we go to the next picture just to illustrate where we're up to? Okay, we start here. Children obviously develop physically. They sit up, they learn about fingers and toes, they touch things, they bite things, see what it tastes like. They learn to feed themselves, they move, they walk, they speak. And at the same time, they develop emotionally. Relationships with parents are vital as they learn trust and then will and determination. We all know about that, don't we, when they say no. They grow in independence. They develop a sense of purpose and courage that has them pushing physical boundaries and climbing on stuff they shouldn't really be climbing on and exploring and playing. 
And at this stage, faith is primarily felt. It's experienced. There's plenty of mystery in life when you're a toddler. So God is a natural part of that mystery, the mystery at the heart of things. At best, they respond to this with a natural sense of wonder at the unfolding world. They respond to trustful relationships with love and generosity. The hug of a child is something wonderful. Within the Christian community, in early childhood, this can become the beginnings of prayer, an affirmation of God's love, thanksgiving for his creation. But it might be much more undirected than that, that the the sense that the world is a curious and wonderful place, something that we've been tapping into this morning with some of our singing and prayers. Because all of us, not just children, can and should access this kind of faith, this experienced faith, using our senses to explore the world and to encounter God. We find God with our senses in art and symbols and images, in gestures and movement, the imagination in prayer, the sight of something beautiful that touches something deep inside us, feeling the swell of the music, experiencing and offering God's presence through friendship and welcome. This is the faith that children start with and we need to nurture, but we need to nurture in ourselves as well. We go on to the next picture. Because there are other layers of faith too. We go back to thinking about children. The next stage for them is school age, up till about sort of 12-ish, the theory goes. Growing in competence, independence in tasks, finding satisfaction in their own efforts, learning how to do things for themselves. Family's still important, but so is the class teacher. Have you ever had one of those debates that includes the words, but my teacher says, and you know you're going to lose, whatever it is. And of course, there's the growing influence of peers. At this stage, a new layer of faith is laid down. Children develop faith from belonging, The community's important. Family, school, church. The habit and dynamics of how it works becomes part of their lives. The stories of family history are passed on to children. And within the Christian community, we pass on the stories of the Christian family. The great stories of the Bible and the events of the gospel. The rhythm of the community is learned. Going to church with the family. Learning about God in a group. Prayers at bedtime. And through school and collective worship, RE lessons, through young church, through all-age worship, the stories are taught. Words are heard and remembered, like the Lord's Prayer, perhaps. The things we do together become important, like taking communion. This gives an initial foundation, a store of stories and memories. And the children begin to take on tasks and roles at school and also in the worshipping community. Think of Jesus, the 12-year-old boy, going to the temple with his family, a family act of worship. And then he ended up hearing the stories with the rabbis, them telling him about the faith as they passed it on from generation to generation. That's this kind of faith that is derived from belonging. Or think of the boy whose lunch fed the 5,000, the satisfaction of contributing that must have given to him 
being part of that group and having something to part to play within it. That's how children grow, but what about adults? Because we experience this layer of faith, this belonging faith, affiliative faith, to give it its proper term. We experience it in community, in corporate acts of worship as we come together, in the sharing of Holy Communion, listening to the Bible together, making music together in worship, sharing food, sharing teaching, in the rhythms of prayer and Bible reading. And we take our turn in doing that for others when we pass on the stories and rhythms and beliefs to our kids and the kids of our community. So now we come to young people. Thank you. And just to get us in the mood, I wanted to read something else. Young people, teenagers. Know them, love them. Okay. This is what somebody's written. Before going on holiday, we wrote down some instructions for the person who was to look after our guinea pigs. After reading through our instructions once again, I noticed similarities with the care of teenagers. See if you agree. Number one, please fill up their bowls with food each morning and make sure they have a drink. Number two, in the evening, give them fruit and vegetables or attempt to. Number three, clear out any uneaten food from their quarters each day. Number four, only let them out if you think it is safe, as they are shy, but some like cuddles, and all of them love being pampered. Number five, protect from too much sun or cold nights. Number six, they each need some time on their own. Girls live in groups of two or more. And the last one, separate boys and girls after six weeks. I don't know what you think. Those who are currently called teenagers, are currently teenagers, and going into their early 20s perhaps, by the sociologists are often called Generation Y, because they come after Generation X, I think, rather than for any other more significant reason about what Y means. But this is some of the research about their particular characteristics and the challenges they face at this particular stage of their lives. This generation of young people is growing in a world defined by mobility, with a pick-and-mix attitude to what life is all about. Whilst family and friends provide stability and loyalty, the culture around them is fragmented and uncertain. Young people are more tech-savvy than ever before. This has set the tone for how they act and react and see the world. Most of them own a PC. Most of them have a mobile. They spend more time online than they do watching TV, plugged into a global world of information and opinions. Choices about how to live and the principles of relationships are often informed by a huge range of films and soaps and music videos and advertising images and celebrity stories as well as by loyalty to their friends. And alongside this, they tend to be self-reliant, passionate, strong-willed and optimistic, which is perhaps just as well, because they're likely to be looking for jobs in a contracting jobs market. They're often tolerant of difference, more accustomed to diversity than earlier generations. They're used to teamwork 
and they like to be included and involved. They place a high importance on happiness for themselves and for their friends and their families, towards whom they're very loyal. I don't know how that rings true with the teenagers that you know, or perhaps with yourself, because some of those things are true across all generations, because we all live in this world. But if we think particularly for them and the moment at which they're growing up, there is a huge amount of change and growth within this context that they're dealing with. Teenagers tend to ask questions of identity. Who am I? What kind of person am I? And there are now lots of places to look for the answer. To music or sport or computer games or celebrities. They look to their peers for affirmation. They become more sexually aware in an over-sexualized culture. They search to discover some meaning and pattern in life using their minds to question facts and beliefs and teachings and experiences that are presented to them. And faith is part of this questioning, the subject of it, perhaps. So the type of faith that is prevalent at this stage is searching faith. Faith emphasizes its critical element. Teenagers ask big questions in their search to integrate faith with who they are. How do I know that God exists? Does God love me? How is God part of my life? And how is he involved in the world? If you think about it, Jesus had to face these questions about identity, about who he was, and how he would interact with the world. When he went into the desert, it was a little later in his life perhaps, but they're the same kinds of questions that he faced. And he had to face them at that moment without other people to help and support him. But we can help and support our teenagers in their development and growth by honouring their searching faith, by giving them space to ask questions, by helping them with tools and resources that explore the territory, by giving them models, perhaps, to what possible answers might be. We can help them find the patterns and the meaning in the enormous range of opinions and images and stories with which they and we are bombarded. Because whilst it's common at the teenage stage to be asking searching questions of faith, we all do that at different stages in our lives. And it's right that we do so. We shouldn't be afraid of questions We shouldn't shy away from using our minds to seek understanding of God. Because after all, Jesus commands us to love God with our minds. A searching critical element to our faith drives us to make sense of our beliefs in the light of life as we experience it. So within the life of faith, we grapple with difficult things. And sometimes we just have to sit with the questions and recognize the mystery at least for now. Many wise Christians have found that doubts and questions are like a kind of spiritual growing pain, a precursor to a deeper, bigger faith. But this layer of searching faith is particularly challenging to teenagers because so many things about who they are and how they pattern their lives 
are up for grabs at this particular stage. Now moving on, just to finish the story, we have one last picture. Beyond this layer of searching faith that we all visit from time to time, what is there? Well, if we grow well, this searching faith gives way to owned faith, a new and deeper faith identity. In adulthood, we recognise that there's a new layer of complexity of life events, of our own and others, and of the feelings and emotions that accompany them. These are the things we have to deal with. We become more aware of hopes and fears, of happiness and despair, of dreams and challenges. And as we grow, I hope and I pray that we develop a greater sense of the mystery of life. And we find we meet God in the darker as well as the lighter parts of life. We get to know ourselves better. We find we can accept and trust. Going back to Jesus' life, perhaps we could think of Jesus on the cross. I hesitate to use this as an example in a way because there is so much going on in that moment. But I think there is a connection because Jesus at the right time moved beyond the questions and the struggle of Gethsemane to trust in the Father. Not peaceful trust, but costly trust. Sometimes that's what it's like. But trust that then opened the possibility of the birth of something completely new. Our faith needs to grow as we grow, as life changes us. Because if as we grow up, our faith remains rooted in our relationship with our parents and not in our own sense of identity, then it may be left behind with childhood toys as we become more independent. If our faith is only the faith of the trusting child, then when we meet the complexity of the adult world, we may label it as irrelevant or place it in a compartment of our lives that we only visit occasionally, but which doesn't relate to life most of the time. So these layers of faith are built upon each other. The faith of experience, layered with the rhythm and the history of belonging and the faith that's rooted in that, expanding through the searching and analysis of critical faith, to the mystery of a newly owned sense of faith that is ours, that fits us. From childhood through youth to adulthood, and then back through and around and amongst all of these as we continue to grow. So for us, for our young people, we need to nurture one another in faith. Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, took his responsibility to the younger generation seriously, as did his father to him, and as we should to our young people. And I wonder, are you still growing? Amen.